0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. We've uh, we've been in the book of 1 uh, Corinthians since the beginning of the school year. Uh, September, and uh, we've been in chapter 7, we're going to be in Corinthians, by the way, until the end of the school year, in the end of May, uh, but uh, we've been in the chapter 7 all this month, the month of January, and uh, the topic has been a little kind of mini-series within the series, thank you, Defunk. Um, sex, singleness, and that's what everybody calls him, I don't know if you know that or not, but that's what everybody calls him or should call him Defunk. Um, that's a street name. Dale, Dale envisions, I don't know whether he does or not, I'm not the person to judge, he envisions himself as having a little bit of game, having a little bit of soul. I think I think if he was to re-pick his uh his career path, I think it would be a DJ. Um, he gets pretty excited, he's got a DJ app on his iPad, if you ever want to see his eyes light up, ask him to show you some of his skills, he gets really excited. But I digress. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, we've been in chapter 7 this month, talking about sex, singleness, and marriage, and... Uh, the interesting thing is the book of Corinthians, like maybe you think like the Bible is old fashioned and uh, but the, the book of Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth which was a church plant by the way so we're a church plant and it was a church plant that had grown really fast and Paul had left town and the city of Corinth was sort of like if you take, like Las Vegas and New York City and put it all together into one city. That's kind of what Corinth was. It had been a fast-growing city. Uh, It was a lot of money there, a lot of commerce, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, And the the culture was not like, like when we think about old-fashioned, there was not old-fashioned like, it it was like Las Vegas or New York. There was crazy stuff going on all the time around town. And so the believers in the church of Corinth found themselves in a minority in the greater city. And as Paul moves on, and as he comes and he plans the church, gets things going, he goes on to another city, he's gone for a couple of years, and he hears a report, like, hey, things are kind of going crazy in Corinth, like some really weird things happening, uh, people sleeping with prostitutes, there's a, a man who is living uh, living with his father's wife, put that together, Jerry Springer episode for you in the city of Corinth, and all kinds of crazy things are going on, Paul's writing to them and saying, hey... Is this true? Have you guys lost your mind? And he's like laying out, hey, this is not the way that you should be living. This is what I'm laying out. But as we read it in today's society, it's easy to sort of have our first question be if we're honest with ourselves. Modern American believers or not believers, wherever you are on your walk here today, the sort of the first question that might pop to our mind is, isn't the Christian teaching about like sex and relationships and marriage kind of old fashioned i mean if you and i are really honest don't there's probably a lot of us in this room that kind of think that maybe like cuz most of us know most of us know what christianity teaches about marriage and about sex right like you don't have it unless you're outside of marriage you don't have it outside of marriage you can have it in marriage uh, maybe uh, between a man and a woman and other, otherwise it's off the board for you and we kind of know what that is and but we kind of wonder maybe Have the rules changed? Has the game changed enough that we need to kind of modify the rules a little bit? We can kind of be in the spirit of the commands, but not like, maybe not quite as rigid as it always has been, because it's really not very practical. Because if you are a single person, we have a number of single people in a church, if you're a single person in America today and you say, hey, I'm not going to have sex until I get married, you are in the vast minority of the people that are around you. And you're gonna have when you say that, people look at you like like uh you're sort of an alien, right? Or they look at you like you're uh like you're a South Carolina fan to a Clemson fan, like why why would you even I don't understand. I, there was something wrong with you from birth. Why would you even why would you do that? Why would you constrict yourself to to pulling for that team in Columbia? Why would you decide not to have sex until until you get married? That's just kinda of weird and and, and and so this is sort of the first question I think, like, maybe, maybe it's just kind of old-fashioned and maybe we could find some way to kind of modify and kind of take some of the principles and kind of modify some of the details so it, it fits our current society better. But really, when we think about sex in those terms, well, what we think is the majority of people around us that, that think sex out of, out of mar- have, not having sex outside of marriage is kind of crazy uh, – that's, that's sort of a, actually kind of a modern phenomenon. Even though the, the city of Corinth that we're talking about, a lot of times in the, in the ancient world you see like sex and sexual ethics was viewed very differently than we do today. Um, every major Christian re- religion, Catholic, Protestant, uh, Orthodox, Judaism, Islam, most of the other major world religions, they all say you should not have sex until you get married between a man and a woman. So already we sort of like think like, our cult, like we're in the minority, but actually our culture is not necessarily in the majority in the world or even in history when we think about it that way. The real question about what is what, what do you think about sex, relationships, and marriage? What do you think about them? And why do you think that? Where do your assumptions about sex, relationships, and marriage come from? So that's really what Paul is talking about in this letter to this, to this church of Corinth. Because he's saying, hey, you guys have adopted the way that your culture around you thinks about sex and marriage, and you're going back to that way, but that, the way that God created to be, the way the Bible describes sex, marriage, and relationships is very different. See, in the city of Corinth, they had three big influences, and they're still the three big influences that are today. I touched on them a few weeks ago. The first one was called Platonism. It came from Plato, and it's sort of the idea that this physical world is inherently kind of bad. And so if you want to be... um, a better person, if you want to be more spiritual. And this kind of creeps over into us as Christians as well, the sort of idea that this world is bad and God's gonna come and take us away from here one day and everything around us is kind of broken and wrong and sex outside of marriage is wrong and sex in marriage is sort of a necessary evil. We'll do it when we have to do it. We'll do it to have kids, but we can't have any fun at it or if I have fun, I'm gonna feel guilty. If it's gonna be pleasurable, I'm gonna feel guilty and you know, I'll have, we'll figure out how how little can we have sex to, in order to keep one of us from going crazy but in order to not, you know, be a burden on the other person? Like sex is sort of a, a dirty chore that you have to do. Like me taking out the trash. I get angry every time I have to take out the trash. I do not know why. Our trash can, our outside trash can could not be any closer to, that, to the door than it is. It is literally outside the door. But there's something about the ten steps from the trash can in the kitchen to open the door and put it in the can that I just get angry, particularly when cause we have one of those drawer things and you pull it open and it's like spilling over and you're like, Why is this spilling over? I just emptied it an hour and a half ago, and then I gotta do it and take it out there again. I get so angry, I get bothered because sort of a, a dirty chore that I have to do. Some of us view sex in that way. Like, sex is sort of a dirty chore that I just get angry when I have to do it. And I'll do it as seldom as I have to, just like I'm going to wait till the trash can overflows and take it out. Some of us view sex that way. And that comes from Platonism, this idea that this world is broken. But as Dale mentioned last week, and we've talked about all month long, when God created man and woman, did he create sex dirty and bad? He created sex to be something beautiful. He created sex to be something that points us to the love that the Father has for you and for me. The Bible says that. He created sex to be a picture, a foretaste, a foretaste of the ecstasy that is to come when we are reunited with the Father whenever this Jesus Christ returns to make all things right. The ecstasy, that moment of ecstasy that you have in sex is an appetizer for the for the ecstasy that is coming. Sex is made to be beautiful between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. It's not something that is bad inherently. The other thing, that, the other influence that had uh, influenced the church at Corinth and influences us is called realism. Are you playing along with a drinking game? It, it's... It's called realism, or you might uh, another form of it might be hedonism, and that sort of says like sex is a natural appetite, and so just as when I get hungry, I'm going to eat, and I get thirsty, I'm going to drink. Whenever I get sexy. I'm gonna do sex. Like, that's like, that's, that, that, that's what happens, right? Like, I just have an appetite, and so if I have an appetite. It's to be filled. I get hungry, I do it. I get thirsty, I do it. I get sexy, I do it. Like, whatever, whatever comes to you, and so as long as you're not hurting anybody else, offending anybody else, hey, it is it is fair game. It is out there. And just like any other appetite that you might have, like you get hungry, you don't want to eat too much. You get thirsty, you don't want to drink too much. I guess that's a thing. Like uh, um, you, don't, you don't want to have sex too much because you, you do too much of it. It might hurt you. But you get hungry, you do it. You get thirsty, you do it. You get sexy, you do it. And that is an idea that influenced the church of Corinth as well and influences us. You can see it all around. It's the sort of idea that if you have an itch, you just scratch it, right? If you have a desire, you feel it. If you, have, if you get sexy, you go out and do it. And as long as you have two consenting people, hey, you are good to go. But can you see how that flies in the face of what God created sex to be? He created man and a woman in a, in a covenantal relationship with each other, which is a picture of God's covenantal, committed Love to you and me, and it's only in the fertile soil of a prior commitment. Because here, Ms. Dale mentioned this last week. Marriage is not a is not a contract that we have. A contract that we have. Jonathan's an attorney. We have a contract, and he say Jonathan says I'm going to upkeep my part of the bargain, and you keep up your part of the bargain. I pay you a thousand dollars, and you give me X. And if you don't pay me the thousand dollars, I don't owe you this anymore. And we view marriages that way. Like you please me and I'll please you. Whenever you stop pleasing me, I'll stop pleasing you. Whenever you get on my nerves and we can't make this work out, hey, I'm out of here. And you see how that would how that would destroy the sort of intimacy that was, God created marriage to have. He created man and a woman alone in a garden, and they were naked. I know I talk about that a lot. It makes people uncomfortable, but it's more than just like physical naked, which was pretty awesome, but it's about two people who, had, who were so intimate with each other that there was no barrier between them. They knew each other completely and could feel comfortable with each other completely all the time. Because the covenant says, I am committed to you no matter what. You put on 10 pounds, I'm committed to you. You get on my nerves, I'm committed to you. For richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, I am committed to you. If you break your part of the covenant, I am still on my end. And that's what God does to you and me whenever he... Becomes your Lord and Savior. He fixes his covenantal love upon you. He makes you his child. And it doesn't matter whether you run away from him, whether you sin, whether you do your quiet time, whether you miss church 10 weeks in a row, don't do that. Whether you give in the offering, whether you read your Bible, none of those things matter because he has fixed his eternal love upon you no matter what you do. And that's what a covenant of marriage is supposed to be a picture of. So you can see how having sex outside of that prior committed Covenantal relationship destroys the whole thing. It's sort of a monstrosity. C.S. Lewis, who's a great author on this subject, said that having, having sex outside of marriage when you see what it was created to be is like somebody walking around without a head. It's monstrous. It's odious. It's repulsive because it's the perversion of what God created it to be we've been influenced by platonism we've been influenced by realism and we've been influenced this is particularly strong in our culture by romanticism and romanticism says love makes right so if you have two people who love each other then anything's right within that relationship and if you have a greater love then you follow the greater love right i mean how you guys seen a movie read a book you There's a couple, they're unhappily married, somebody else comes along, that person's soulmate. And the book and the movie paints the picture that their greater love, the fact that they're a greater match to each other means that they can trump the marriage, they can leave the the boyfriend, they can do whatever they want because this love is greater between them. They're They're soulmates, love makes right. But that's not the picture that scripture gives. Paul's writing to remind the church of the Christian view of sex, relationships, and marriage. Don't follow any of those three big influences. You see in the passages that we read, um, thank you, Becca, in verse 29 and This is an interesting passage. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let like those who have wives those who live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the for the present form of this world is passing away. What he's saying is he's saying that you and I, the part being a part of the Christian community, are to be are to look different in the way that we treat sex, in the way that we treat relationships, in the way that we treat marriage, and the way we treat money, and the way we treat power, it should look different because we are a different kind of people. What he's saying there, what is he saying when he says uh, at, if you're married as though you're not married and those who buy and sell good as though they don't, he's saying that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ you've been born again from above and that This world, this current age is not our home. We are, the the Bible calls us sojourners or pilgrims. The picture there is somebody who lives in a foreign land, who takes up residence there, but yet is not a permanent citizen of that area. And that's us. We live here in this world in in this age, but we are not permanent citizens of this age. We are citizens of the age to come. And so, therefore, we don't operate when it comes to money, when it comes to power, when it comes to career, when it comes to family, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to sex, when it comes to dating relationships. We don't operate the way the people around us operate just because it's a part of the culture that we're a part of. We operate as a part of a different culture, a culture from above. We're to be a different kind of society, a a sort of a city within the city. Who operate from a, a different center. We operate from a different center because the things that most people look for money and power and sex from, we aren't looking for those things from the. People look, to, why do people love power? Because it makes them feel better about themselves because it gives them a sense of security. It gives them a sense of, of value. It, get, it helps them to feel better about themselves when they compare themselves to other people. If they're richer, more powerful, they, if they live behind a gate or their house is bigger or their car is nicer or their job is more important or they whatever fill in the blank. They live on a higher, uh, they, they work on a higher floor. Whatever the case may be, why do people love power? Because it gives those things It fuels those things in them. And if you and I are believer, we aren't looking for security, value, and identity from our address or from our paycheck or from the car we drive. If you and I are believers believer in Jesus Christ, we aren't looking for value and identity from how beautiful the girl is that's beside me or how handsome the guy is or how well-dressed they are or what a great career they have or what they've done in the past or what they're gonna do in the future. My value, security, and identity isn't based upon whether they are fulfilling my desires and they're making me feel good about myself or they're giving me sex as often as I want to or the kind of sex that I want in return. Because my value and identity and security is based upon the, that covenantal love that Christ placed upon you whenever he placed himself on the cross. Can you see how that changes the way Christians use money, power, sex, relationships, how we view marriage? All of a sudden we're not a bunch of leeches trying to leech things out of objects that cannot give us the nourishment that we need because we're getting it from another source. Then we can use money we can use whatever power that we've been given. We can use sex. We can use relationships and marriage for the thing that God intended them to be. They are great things, but they are not ultimate things. The problem comes when we switch those places and we make God the conduit to get me the money, to get me the power, to get me the relationship that I need in order to help my, fuel my sense of identity. Rather than finding my sense of identity in Christ and using these things that he's given me, my job, my talents, my wife, my girlfriend, my lack of wife or girlfriend, my kids, to then glorify him and worship him in return for all that he's done for me. Paul is reminding the church in Corinth and therefore us that sex in the church, therefore this community is very different. Sex was created for God's glory and our joy, but not that, can't turn those around. Not our joy first, God's glory first, and then our joy. It's great, it's beautiful, but it's not ultimate. And he's reminding us that even though sex was created for God's glory and our joy, that it has been marred by the fall and our subsequent fallout from sin. So when we fell, and we, when our great 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 granddad Adam fell and turned away from Christ and fell turned away from God, went his own way, and the whole humanity fell with him. and We've all been born by choice and by nature as sinners. Since then, we are broken sexually it doesn't work the way it was intended to work it's sort of like you can still see like you can still see the shadow there it's of what it was supposed to be you can see the the beauty in it you can see how uh, you're like what are you looking at uh, you can you can see the like the the beautiful thing that sex was created to be, the beautiful thing that when that marriage was created to be and to point to, but it, it doesn't quite work the way it was supposed to work in the beginning. We are marred and we are broken, like it's a, it's like a ruin of a once great and beautiful building. You guys ever seen that? Ever, like anybody lived here during Hurricane Hugo? And walked around and saw like some of these great, amazing buildings that were like destroyed? Like walk down on the ocean and some of these great big beach houses that were there were washed like a couple blocks inland, like the whole house. You see like what once was amazing and beautiful, somebody's vacation home, somebody's dream home has been destroyed, but you can see kind of what it once was. That's kind of what our sexuality is like. You can see vestiges of the beauty that was once there, but it's kind of marred. But here's the good news. If you're a believer today, If you're a believer today, in Christ, our sexuality, the God-reflecting glories of our genders and our sexual desires is being restored. It's both a sign of the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives and it's a part of the process of sanctification in our lives. The gracious work of the Holy Spirit changes sex, singleness, relationships, and marriage in the Christian community. The community, therefore, this community, all the believers are called to be a light in darkness, a city within a city, showcasing what was originally intended in sex and relationships, a foretaste of the glories that are to come. So how is it different? First of all, Sex and relationships in the community of faith, this new community that he has made, this city within a city, this new society within a society, sex relationships in the new community are motivated by a greater love. They're motivated by a greater love. Um, As I mentioned, our ideas about sex relationships are usually generally formed by Platonism or realism or romanticism. Uh, That dominates our culture. It says that love makes everything right. It's the highest value. If you're in love, everything's fair game. Whenever you and I approach relationships or sex, we're motivated by a love. There's something that we love, a person that we love. Or maybe we love the pleasure that we get. Or maybe, frankly, we love ourselves. And because we love ourselves, we will use other people for our own sexual pleasure, like they're tools. So we go around using people up and we don't care about what it does to them emotionally or personally. We just discard them like it's an empty cup or empty empty bottle afterwards. Love is powerful. But if you look for that kind of all-satisfying love from another finite, broken person, you will destroy them, you will destroy the relationship, and you'll destroy yourself. If you look for the kind of all-satisfying love from another person, you will destroy them because you're asking them to give you something that they cannot give you. That kind of love that you long for, that kind of love that was romanticized in our songs and the movies, that kind of love that makes everything happily ever after, like you know the protagonist and the and the heroine or whatever whoever's involved, and they love each other and they 're separated and they have to overcome great odds and they 're finally reunited together and we 're left like it says the end and the screen goes blank we 're sort of left with the idea that this kind of love that they have for each other just makes everything right this once in a lifetime all satisfying love makes all All things right and will help you get through any kind of trouble. So I know people who got married or got into relationships thinking that that's what love was and they are constantly jumping from relationship to relationship. They're disgruntled with their marriage. They're leaving one marriage to another because they're looking for that kind of love that nobody can ever give you because there is no such thing as all satisfying love in another person. It is only found in the one who gave his life for you. And not just gave his life for you, but the almighty creator God who left the glories of heaven for you, that took the form of a person for you, who lived a sinless life for you that you could not do, who died a painful death for you and is right now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven making intercession for you that's the kind of all-satisfying love, and that is the only kind of love that can satisfy you. If you look for that in another person, you will destroy that person. You'll destroy the relationship. No relationship can stand under that kind of pressure and strain, and you'll destroy yourself because you will you will leave relationship to relationship, marriage to marriage, disgruntled and and feeling more and more empty because you're looking for something that you can't find and you've been told by culture and society that that's where you should find it and so you keep looking under rocks that there's nothing there. There must be a greater love. You know what that does to our sexual relationships and our marriage relationships and our dating relationships and our singleness as we're looking for a, a spouse or we're not looking for a spouse? It means that sex is not, and love itself, sex and love in a relationship is not about personal self expression. It's about personal self donation. If you have been, if you are finding a greater love in Jesus that you cannot find from another person, then you can be free to donate yourself to your spouse. I'm not looking for. A, my wife to serve me sexually. I'm looking to serve her. I'm not looking for my wife to serve me in my household or in my life and make me happy. I'm looking to serve her because my love bank is filled up and I can continually give, write checks out of that bank because it's being filled up by another secret source that she can never fill up. Can you see how that would change the nature of a marriage relationship or singleness or a dating relationship? Sex relationships in the new community is not only motivated by a greater love, but it's governed by a greater desire. So sex in itself is good, but our sexual desires are broken, and they're often idolatrous. Romantic relationships and marriage are good. God created them, but the way that we approach them are broken and idolatrous. I have a, I have desires, but just because I have a desire, doesn't mean that it's a good desire. Because I'm, I understand that I am a sinful human being and I am broken. And I understand that, oftentimes the the when I think about what is my desire, okay. So I'm picturing, like I'm looking for physical relief, I'm looking for physical pleasure, I'm looking for some type of intimacy with another person, I'm looking for whatever your security, whatever it is that you fill in, because it, because just be honest, whenever you're looking for sexual release, that sexual desire that wells up inside you, it's not just about a physical release. There are many layers underneath that. I've heard multiple stories, don't ask me how I've heard these stories, of of, uh, people who were like high high profile um, ladies of the night and how they, they, they would talk about how they had these men that would pay thousands of dollars for an hour with them, these powerful men and what they would do whenever they would get in the room is they would just talk with them. They'd want them to hold them. They would cry in their arms. These powerful, rich men were hiring somebody to hold them or to rub their hair or to let them cry on their shoulder. There may be lots of, there's usually lots of layers that are going on with our sexual desire and we understand that that has to be governed by a greater desire. I can't just tell you don't desire, don't, don't desire sex, don't desire to go out there and sleep with whoever you, you find, whoever you see that catches your eye. But you have to have a greater desire that catches your eye in a different place. You remember that feeling whenever you first fall in love with somebody? And you 're just infatuated with them, and the people around you are sick of how you're like like droogling when you talk about them that stupid look that comes on your face, and you're doodling their name and you're you know calling them and watching TV shows together, and nobody's talking you're just watching TV shows over the phone together like that remember that early part of the, of the stage but. And, and how like nobody else in that stage looks attractive to you, like all your attention, all your desires all being float, like, all being poured out on this one person, you can't stop desiring somebody, but you have to have another desire that comes in that supplants your lesser desires. And you and I, as believers, understand that our broken desires that are looking to find an outlet in another person, that's a, that is a broken outlet that will not satisfy the desires. I have to find a greater desire. Your soul is longing for communion with God. And that's the only thing that can satisfy that desire. Sex and relationships are not only motivated by a greater love in the new community, governed by a greater desire, but they're satisfied by a greater hope. When we pursue sex and relationships, there's something that we're hoping for. Does your hope lie in meeting the right person? Do you think like, man, my life is really sucky right now. If I just meet the right person, my life will be happy. And that's your hope. You wake up in the morning, your life's terrible, but you hope I'll meet the right person. Or maybe you put your hope in having enough sex. Man, I am frustrated. If I could just have enough sex, man, things would be good. Or maybe if I had my spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, like, say this or do this or stop saying this or stop doing this, like, then I would be happy. Like, that's your hope. Like for a believer, our hope doesn't rest upon any of those things. It doesn't rest upon getting more sex or meeting the right person or having the, our boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse make me happy. It rests in the fact that in the person of Jesus Christ and that he is returning one day to make all things right. And everything that's sucky and broken about this world He is coming and he's gonna make all things new and all things right. And that's where my hope lies. And then lastly, sex and relationships in the new community, and this is what we've been talking about the whole time, worship a greater object. Sex and relationships in the new community, worship a greater object. If you think about it, sex is an act of worship. It's a sacrament. Today, we're gonna observe actual Christian sacrament of the the Lord's Supper, the bread and the juice. But sex in itself is is an act of worship. No matter who or what you are worshiping, it always is worship. You're worshiping the person you're with, you're worshiping pleasure, you might be worshiping yourself, you're worshiping security, you're worshiping something, you're worshiping something. Think about it. It's always been so. Either sex has been worshipped, sexually desirable people have been worshipped. Why in the heck do we have tons of tabloids, tons of websites devoted to showing us what the, what the celebrity ex is wearing or who they're dating or where they're vacationing or Why? or if they're pregnant or not. We have it because we are worshiping sexually desirable people. Sex is worshiped, sexually desirable people have been worshiped and it's, and it's always been used as a ritual of worship. There are, if you look back in ancient history, there are tons of temples that you'll find worshiping a God where sex was a part of the actual worship. There'd be temple prostitutes that you'd go and have sex, pay the temple prostitute, have sex with them. In order, as an act of worship to the God of that temple. We've all, I think innately we know that sex is sort of an, an act of worship. Think about it. There's an object of worship. There's somebody, something that this is pointed to. It has rites and rituals, just like any other sacrament, any other sort, sort of form of worship. We have certain things that we do, certain rituals that we go through with each other. We give ourselves, we physically give ourselves to that person. Or to that thing, and in it we are looking for love, for pleasure, for satisfaction, for security, for hope, for relief. Maybe for you, sex is an idol. Do you worship at the idol of sex? Do you build your life around having more sex or better sex or sex in general? Is the person that your sexual desire is for, the person you're dating, the person you're married to, are they the object of your worship? Or is it you? You? sex, is the other person, is the relationship that I'm in, is my marriage, my spouse, are those tools that I'm using to please myself because I think that I need to be served and I need to be pleased. Think about it. Somebody crosses you, they won't give you the kind of relationship you want or sex as frequently as you want. Why do you get angry? Is it because maybe you think that you're worthy of worship and you get frustrated that your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or the potential boyfriends and girlfriends aren't worshiping you the way that you do? Only only Jesus can free us from this vain worship in seeing his great love for us in his life and his death and his resurrection and beholding his glories as the almighty creator God. Think about it. How awesome would you feel? Just be honest with yourself. You don't have to raise any hands or tell the person beside you, how awesome would you feel if next week you walked in here with a supermodel on your arm? Or the somebody, some dude who is built, good looking, athletic, rich, and powerful, and they came in on your arm next week. How awesome would you feel? The one who is your heavenly father and your heavenly spouse if that doesn't wear you out but he calls us his bride is the creator of heaven and earth he owns everything he thought it all up it is all under his control and his power and he that one has fixed his eternal covenantal love upon you, and not only that, but he went through extreme measures to draw you to himself. He sent his son. His son became a human. He died for you, and then while you were running away from him, he came after you, and he found you and called you to himself and experiencing his powerful and personal presence in your life and only beholding him in his glory and seeing him in his beauty and seeing his sacrifice for you and experiencing his powerful and personal presence in your life. Can you be freed from worshiping vain idols, whether it be sex itself, a potential mate, your current mate, your current boyfriend, girlfriend, or yourself? What would it look like for us as a redeemed community to live in this new paradigm in regards to sexuality, singleness, relationships, and marriage? Have this, and I'm done. First of all, it would mean that we would value and encourage each other in each other's singleness. So if, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but if you are finding your security and value and comfort in Jesus Christ as a single Like what Paul says in this chapter is, you can be single. You're no less valuable. You may want to get married or you may not want to get married, but you can be single and be secure because of his love for you. And we as believers will value other people in their singleness. I think in some churches, singles feel like second class citizens. They're not allowed to be in... uh, levels of leadership or to serve unless they're married people look at you at church functions like they're wondering if you're going to steal their spouse but we value and encourage each other in God's work in our singleness and also means that we would value and encourage God's work in each other's marriages we would hold marriage high As singles, we'd be striving for the success of the marriages around us, and as married couples, we'd be striving for the success of the other marriages that are around us. It means that we would hold sex high as being something that God made, and therefore it's beautiful and lovely, even though our desire for it can be broken. And because of that, it means that we would work together to fight for sexual purity, both as marrieds and as singles. It means that we can be honest about our broken desires and drives, and work with each other in honesty, in truthfulness, laying out my mess to you and you laying out your mess to me to say hey, we're gonna fight together for sexual purity as married people and as singles. The gospel creates a new community which is revolutionary in its approach to sex and relationships. The gospel creates a new community which is revolutionary in its approach to sex and relationships, and that's the kind of community God has called us to be a part of. If you're here and you're single, the band's gonna come up, and as they come up, I want you to they're gonna play a song. I want you to maybe just think about, hey, what idols am I worshiping at? why do I view relationships and sex and marriage the way that I do it? Have I adopted my culture, the cultural understanding around me or do I view it the way God does? To marry people, do the same thing. Think about, am I, am I looking for things out of my spouse that they cannot possibly provide for me? And if I... Grasp God's great love for me and his sec- my security in Him and my identity in Him, then could I live a different kind of life with my spouse where I'm pouring myself out for them instead of looking for something from them that they cannot give me? If you're here and you're not a believer, maybe you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been running down all kinds of other paths to other idols looking for comfort and security, looking for value in those things. I invite you to take some time during this song and confess that to him. Repent of your sins and confess Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. If you would like somebody to pray with you, Dale's here, I'm here, Justin's here, There are ladies around. Find somebody besides you. Ask them to pray with you. Wherever you are in your journey, let's take some time now and think about how we have viewed sex, relationships, and marriage, and why. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today.